The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, do not disturb, it's Andy Greenwald! First of all, Chris, great to see you. Happy summer to everyone. I hope everyone enjoyed their week off. I know we did. I just want to let you know, because Chris, you are a sports and culture blogger Mm -hmm. and podcaster, that there's a famous playoff matchup that's known, people who watch The Last Dance know this, it's known as the flu game. And it's a right. game, as we learned in The Last Dance, maybe it wasn't the flu, maybe it was a, maybe someone tampered with MJ's pizza. But the point is, Michael Jordan was not feeling well, and no one knew what was going to happen, and he gutted out a, a legendary victory. This podcast that we're recording on Monday morning, with no producerial supervision, because we're letting Kaya sleep in, in because in our spirit, schedule is... Kaya is here, though. Oh, Kaya's going to fix all the mistakes, and we love her for it. I just mean that she's not minding the store, so we have to be on our P's and Q's. This podcast, Chris, is the Pinocchio game. Because right now, I am talking to you sitting on the floor of a Philadelphia hotel room while my children are on an iPad on the other side of that door watching a movie. Who, who even knows what? This could go either way. And I only, I, I said to you what when we started. What if they're watching like body double? <laughs> like That's fine. I think young Kathleen Turner is a revelation. Oh, that's Body Heat. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I'd, I'd rather them watch that. I, I guess that the the first thing I said was, I, I'm glad that we're not doing video right now because mm-hmm. this is a little abject. But if and when they both burst in the door like the the Korean family did in that famous BBC clip, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be a worthwhile moment. So anyway, we're all in strange circumstances in summer 2021, but we're ready to podcast. Yeah, Andy and I had a little week off there. And, you know, people would think probably it's it's a week off of work. But it's not really a week off of the soul of podcasting. So I've been no. traversing the mid-coast. I've been up in Maine and just like kicking in the door to, to, to salty sea shacks and just asking people what they thought about the end of the bureau. You know, and just seeing what they think, <laughs> seeing what Camden, Maine. I was, I was at a bar briefly last night called Cuzzy's in Camden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just being like, what do you guys think of Lasso season two? You know, what do you guys think of White Lotus Ep three? And they were like, we're waiting for you. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I thought they were going to be waiting for the North Water. I feel like you've misjudged and misread the room. Yeah. So obviously, Andy and I are a little bit behind. We want to get to North Water maybe at the end of this week. 
Uh, we have a bunch of shows coming up that we want to talk about. The Chair, the new Sandra O oh show written by Amanda Peet. It's very exciting on Netflix. Nine Perfect Strangers on Hulu. A bunch of stuff on the way. But we have two two shows, one running and one that just aired. Uh, Andy, I, first I wanted to run through some some pop culture headlines that we've missed. Now, the funny thing, on a day-to-day basis when I talk to you, and let's say you mm-hmm. and I are both quote-unquote working on like a Tuesday in America. Sure. The text message thread, we got it back going back and forth. Here's this observation. Oh, did you see this article about comic book writers not getting paid enough? Like that's a that's a topic, blah, blah, blah. But like if you're not uh professionally obligated to follow it, I get the impression you and I might have missed like 35 stories over the last week or so. Do you know what I mean? Like that would have been noteworthy, but like I I kind of like looked through a list of of deadline and vulture and, and trade stories and I was like oh yeah right Michaela Cole cast in Black Panther two like that's that's notable um, culture never sleeps but when you don't follow it on like an hour to hour basis yeah it kind of like it it shrinks it a little bit and what's important right so I have a couple of things here and Michaela Cole being one of them that I thought we could talk about you know you, over the years. I think I've sounded a little bit like Allen Ginsberg when it comes to like really talented people getting sucked up by the superhero industrial complex. But I can't lie. This sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think that, first of all, we love Michaela Cole. She mm-hmm. made the best TV show of last year and I May Destroy You. She is a um, just rocket ship of talent. And I think what's, thrilling about it is not just the chance to see her shine on a brighter stage, but for me, this kind of, obviously everyone's excited and a little bit not Sad. anxious, but saddened by, yeah. by what Black Panther 2 is going to be. That's going to exist, but obviously without the Black Panther himself, without Chadwick Boseman. But it affirms something that I've carried with me, and I think the movie's much more devoted fans have carried with them since it was released all through this, you know, the terrible news of the last year, which is that this movie was never about one person. It is, and it did become kind of a movement. Mm-hmm. And we saw it not just when the movie was greeted rapturously around the world, but when they were doing their, when the cast and crew and Ryan Coogler, the director, were doing their kind of um, award show circuit and just the tightness of this of this group mm-hmm. and the celebratory nature of it and just the vibrancy of the community and bringing in more incandescent Black talent into this Wakandan family is kind of thrilling and speaks to what Coogler and his team have built and also what this movie franchise means. And it means something more than, you know, the MCU phase five. It does. And, yeah. and, and I'm not sure what other MCU projects have transcended in that way. And it's kind of exciting to think about. Yeah, I was, I think, uh, I haven't, there's no skepticism. There was a part of me that was like, I could totally see them saying like, you know what, this just doesn't feel right. You know, at some point, you mean making like, the movie? Yeah, just making the movie in general. And I think that honestly, for all the um, uh, House of Cards, uh, House of Cards implies that it could fall down for the elaborate construction of the cinematic universe of Marvel that they've got going over there. If all parties involved were like something is just not right about doing I mean, something, very right. obviously is not right about doing this without Bozeman. I think they could have you know smoothed that over. And in terms of like the l- larger storytelling. But it is really, I'm, I'm so excited to see what they do to not only address his absence and the loss of him as a, a person, but to sort of figure out what the story is behind, you know, what, what his character's sort of absence will yes. be in, in, the sh- in the movie itself. And, and she's just like, you know, I, I, I think maybe I worry about like I'm getting 
softer or I'm getting like a little bit like my standards aren't like as high, but like, you know, I think I'm old enough and we're all like professional enough to recognize that like being in one movie does not necessarily like take up the rest, like next five years of your life. Like Michaela Cole could work for six weeks on Black Panther. She could work for two years on it. She's going to do a lot of amazing stuff. It could be two weeks in Atlanta. But first of all, Chris, you're selling yourself short. If you are, really are walking into Cuzzy's and asking about a French drama series, you are not soft. You I, just are, you are, big, I pull up a bar stool and I'm just like, Netflix is earnings, man. <laughs> not sure. Not sure. I bet Reed is sweating it. Um, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I mean, the, the thing that is endlessly fascinating to me about, about Marvel is how mutable it is. There was a world where they could have pulled the plug on the movie and all of these characters and actors would have continued to work and populated the larger Marvel universe, as we've seen, you know, with um, Florence Kasumba was in Falcon Winter Soldier. I mean, all of these actors and characters have as bright a future as they want to have in the larger project, and that would have been fine. But what they did and what Coogler did, which honestly, in my mind, has only grown in estimation since, as we've seen other good to almost great projects, but nothing totally eclipse the culture the way Black Panther did, they deserved another go around. They deserve a, a celebration. They deserve a victory lap and a very, you know, public I, I, homegoing, I guess mm-hmm. is the only word. I don't want to say funeral for the character, if not the actor himself. So it's cool. They still know what they're doing. It's exciting. Did you, you wound up watching Black Widow. We talked about that a little bit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about that a little bit last time on the podcast. And, you know, I think when you get, uh, taking a couple steps back from like, despite COVID everything, like where Marvel is at right now with the three shows and Black Widow and where it kind of leads us or lands us, you you do really kind of like, just kind of like, I was, I was going to say Marvel app, but you tip your cap to like the sort of, um, the way they've navigated, obviously a really complicated release schedule due to the pandemic, but also like story-wise where they're set up because there are some obvious hints about where things are going but then Mm -hmm. you also have like you know this sort of dual track storytelling both on 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 plus but also uh, in the theaters and then speaking of black panther you see stories like michael b jordan is developing a black superman show for hbo max which is not the same thing as the black superman movie that jj abrams and ta-nehisi coates are developing for warner brothers and I know that there's all this stuff with like Earth 2 and various like multiverses in the DC world, which is going to be weird if both of those things are doing multiverse at the same time. And I think a lot yeah. of that stuff comes out of Flash. But it is, I, I would love to have this conversation in three years and be like, which one worked and did or did both work? This kind of like everything all of the time, there can be two Batmans and three Jokers and four different Gotham stories two black supermans like however whatever they want to do with this and and Mm -hmm. throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks versus this like every single thing is vetted and precise and it's going to happen in the time it needs to happen and the casting is immaculate and yada 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 i think there's two things to 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 say when talking about this one is and this is just my ten thousand foot view Marvel you're and DC on, are you're sitting on the floor, so you're not really giving me a ten thousand. That's true, but I've not I've not yet told people how tall this building is. <laughs> That's right. Um, the uh, coming to you live from Stark Tower. Um, both DC and Marvel are are all in on multiverse and multiversal storytelling. My impression is that they are still, however, 
staying true to what their corporate identities have become, which means DC became multiversal, not necessarily by choice, mm-hmm. but because nothing was working and they had too much stuff and there was no centralized office of content. So they were making TV shows and movies and then multiple movies, et cetera, et cetera. It worked for them, as we've said many times on the show. Um, people can handle there being multiple jokers at once. And so that's worked for them and they're going to continue to develop that. What Marvel's doing is a little bit trickier because I do think that while they are really letting it fly by, you know, with multiple Spider-Men about to emerge onto the screen um, later this year, it does seem like they are still doing this as a phase of storytelling. This is Mm. an Infinity War style exercise in multiversal storytelling that will open up a lot of possibilities in the future. But I think that it's still important to Kevin Feige and the overall Marvel project for there to be stakes here and there to be an end to it, whether it's the final defeat of Jonathan Majors Kang or whatever, wherever we're headed. So I do think that that's, I think the project is slightly different and it may make it harder for DC to try to walk it back a little bit if something catches fire again, like we are going to do another Justice League, but this time this flash matters. I don't know if that, Right. <laughs> I, I don't quite know how they're going to make that work. The other thing I wanted to say about this though, is if I were, and again, I haven't seen the show yet and I haven't been to Maine, been to Maine like you, <laughs> but were I in the shipbuilding business, uh-huh. I would not hire anyone at Warner Media slash Discovery Warner, whatever it's ending up being called now, to do the finish on the boats. Okay. Because that is a leaky enterprise. And because it, there's I just too like much it, talk coming out of there, or because they they just like yes, they, I have to think, and again, I'm just throwing I'm just throwing mind darts here. So from ten thousand feet, so look out below. I think it's almost a strategy at this point. Because we one of the things that we keep coming back to is we are in for some major infinity wars in terms of streaming services mm-hmm. because, you know, I'll, I'll just to repeat myself, you have Apple and Amazon, the two richest companies in the world. And then the competitors against the two richest companies in the world are Disney and Netflix. Everyone else is looking up at them. And that is a lot higher than 10,000 feet. And the only way to compete really, you know, especially when we're, it, it's apples and oranges and um, chainsaws comparing viewership numbers from streaming services um, is shareholder value and data, right? Mm-hmm. And so Warner Media, I think, has to just keep keep stuff out there, keep things afloat, testing the market, flooding the market, letting people know all the stuff it has, considering what a jump these other companies had on them. And so I feel like that's partly why we keep hearing about not just, as you said, one interesting and intriguing Black Superman project with ta Coates behind it, but now Michael B. Jordan is making one. That's why we don't just hear about House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel that's coming out next year. Every so often, we get another unauthorized leak of two to six more potential Game of Thrones yeah, spin-offs. Yeah, like a bunch of animated ones, yeah. Coming. I mean, I, I think that every company, I mean, they're not doing their jobs if they're not developing 100 versions of everything they control. That is sure. what every company is doing. Not all of them are sharing this information to the degree that Warner seems to be. And frankly, I don't know if it's a bad strategy because we're talking about it constantly on a podcast. No, I know. I mean, like, I also, I I saw that Scott Z. Burns is also part of, like, the creative team. Scott Z. Burns wrote Contagion and and, and The Informant, a bunch of Soderbergh movies that I like. But, like, he is working on the Dune spinoff show. Like, there's, like, there's already a Dune spinoff show for a movie that hasn't come out. 
And I was well, like, well, there's the Suicide Squad spinoff show that is in production with John Cena. I mean, right. that is their strategy to flood both zones all right. the time. But if you think that Marvel is above, or not Marvel, but if you think if like Amazon is above that, like wait till they make 15 Lord of the Rings shows. I mean, like they're not spending a half a billion dollars for one show, right? Like they're doing it to Correct. build up the sets, create the infrastructure, start the ball rolling, and then there will be... that. Yeah. They bought that stuff for a reason. They bought MGM if that deal finally gets pushed through so that they can... I mean, I don't know whether what the parameters of the bond part of that this deal are. This is what are, I was about to say, exactly. But they didn't buy that so that they could show the spy who loved me on Prime. Like they bought it because they want to get into that business. There's a politeness still to the way we cover this stuff because it doesn't, if there's not no actual there there, then what's the point? But we are, but I, but absolutely like Bonds, Aston Martin or BMW or whatever his car branded sponsorship is at the moment. If you check out the tires in the one in Q's laboratory currently, there are a lot of boot prints on it from the tires getting kicked. Yeah. Like you don't buy it without already having taken six meetings for the Bond spinoff show or origin show. I mean, that's why you have these properties. And I think I've said to you anecdotally, like within my own career on that side of the ball, like I will have phone calls with development people at the studio and they'll just name a movie that exists. Right. Do you have a spin on this? And I'll say, yes, that's a movie that exists. And I'll say, do you you got anything? Got a take? Want to do it? Want to take it? I mean, they have it. And that doesn't mean it's happening or I deserve it or I have a good idea or it's ever going to be a TV show, but you got to keep the plate spinning. That's that's the business. Yeah, it's fascinating. All right, so like we've talked about some some sort of more headlining stuff. Did you see anything when you over the course of the week? Because the, the two things I want to talk to you about right now mm-hmm. is, well, one I have like a on a on a on a doc here. I have just a line that says, "Are we happy for Josh Hamilton?" Because he is he is in the in, the, in this season of Walking Dead. <laughs> uh, I'm always happy for Josh Hamilton. I I. I'm, what? We're Walking? not talking about the f- former Texas Ranger, Josh. No, Hamilton, no, no. We're talking about Josh Hamilton from kicking and screaming and from, yeah. That said, the former Texas Ranger, Josh Hamilton, would not be out of place on The Walking Dead. No, I don't know what's up with that guy right now. So I, I want to be careful to make too many, like, you know, assumptions yes. about Josh Hamilton, the Texas Ranger. Josh Hamilton, Texas Ranger, I don't know anything about. Josh Hamilton is in Walking Dead. Every couple of seasons, we make a Walking Dead comment, which is essentially like, man, that trailer was super long. Like they At Comic-Con, <laughs> they always put out like a six-minute yeah. trailer. And you just, it's just dark and people being like, I used to trust you, but I can't anymore. And then like samurai sword across the head of a, a zombie. It does, I, I guess we are arriving at the end game for, uh, for Walking Dead. I had no idea Jeffrey Dean Morgan was still like on this show. As like a guy, with a with a with a Louisville Slugger, I think that's his thing. I, I mean, it, it the the late middle age. I mean, I guess at this point, old age of phenomenons are amazing because we don't talk about it. That's not a barometer. That's just was ne- the show is never really our thing. But it's inarguable that the show's luster has faded. But what does that mean? It still means millions of people watch every episode. Yeah. It's hugely successful. I mean, the other notable thing about Walking Dead this week was that this long-running lawsuit was finally apparently settled. And Frank Darabont got $200 million, right? Frank Darabont, the Shawshank Redemption writer-director who developed Robert Kirkman's comic book for AMC. And did and then, most of the first season, right? Yeah, he did the, like those first six episodes and then a little bit into the next and then left under acrimonious terms. And then he and his agency were like, AMC's, you're hiding the ball, you're hiding the ball in the profits that were owed. And it went on so long that it, you started to wonder, like, 
was this worth it? And then the answer is yes. Yes, the answer was, it was worth it. Good job. Good job by you, Frank Darabont and your lawyers. Um, do you want me to talk about Josh Hamilton? Will you the watch Walking the Dead last success? episode of The Walking Dead with me? Yes. Okay. And can we also talk about the Miyazaki film you promised to watch then? Yeah, we'll do it. Like maybe we'll do a double feature. I, um, do you, here's a question that I don't know if we touched on last year. And by the way, I think people know this. We, we don't need to report the news, but Walking Dead Prime is ending, but presumably... Um, I'm still, I'm still waiting the, on my Rick Grimes movies. That's where, right. Where, the Rick Grimes movies apparently are still in the can <laughs> and are, are coming. And then there's also a, uh, a Daryl and, and, and What's-Her-Name spinoff coming. Right. Norman, the Norman Rita show. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think that... I guess I kind of would be interested in watching the end only because my feelings about how human beings would behave during a pandemic has changed mm. for no reason whatsoever. But my, <laughs> uh, but but I, I think a lot of my previous smugness about like how people would fare with a obvious disease that ruins everything, but they walk really slowly <laughs> and you can see them coming. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I feel like now I get it more, and I feel like. I would might it might be you, even more upsetting. Do you feel like Hannity would be on just being like, I never said that the, the zombies were bad. I just I, said I just said do your own research. Do your own research. Get close to a zombie. Invite one into your home and see how bad it is. Uh, uh, yeah, I just feel like when you see I, I used to look at the slow moving zombies and I'd be like, Well, you see them coming. It truly doesn't seem that hard to avoid them unless you, like a protagonist on The Walking Dead, falls through a bad floorboard into a cellar full of them. Which, right. you know happens it happens but now i feel like we would see them coming and we'd be like i get it but you know luca just hit disney plus and i gotta i gotta finish it i gotta know if he turns back into a sea monster We're, or not what about I'm loki sure I season four i got, I got, I got luca loki loki luca i'm gonna close the window and just and just finish these shows out i'm sure i've got enough time so the by far the sort of strangest pop culture experience i've had since being on on vacation last week and you know, just even a couple more days now, is the secondhand experience of the Donda streaming party, which I did not know was happening. I looked at my phone and saw everybody right. kind of tweeting about it. So went down and like on you know because you know how on Twitter you can go down a level if you want to. Yeah, like, I mean, like it's all the way down. Like, let's say you're reading something and it's like, oh, this is an Atlantic writer. And then the Atlantic writer retweets a virologist. And then you're right. like, now I'm on virologist Twitter and this is really mm -hmm. intense. I was like that for I, I, Just, con, just for to Donda. pause you, Chris, <laughs> the beauty of Twitter is you never ascend the level. No, you know what I mean? Like you never <laughs> start clicking and suddenly you're just smarter. Yeah. That doesn't happen. But um, that, that, that I went to the virologist Twitter <laughs> level of Kanye you know, where okay. it was like dudes who were at this streaming thing being like, oh yeah. my God, this Hove verse. And I was just like, I, I did actually feel like unfrozen caveman lawyer where I was like, will this record be released this evening to any of the streaming platforms that I subscribe to? <laughs> <laughs> and I forgot. I forgot that that's not how Kanye rolls. I wanted to, but I, I wanted to ask you, like, did you pay attention to this at all? Do you know that Kanye is now currently living in yes. the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta where he is apparently working on Donda. Like they had, I can't tell if this is like a joke or not, but there was a picture of 2 chains in like the Falcons locker room, like recording yeah. a verse. And like, we've been through a lot with Kanye. Kanye was a very uh, foundational text for us, not only as friends, but at this podcast to spend a lot of time talking about Kanye. 
Yeah. Good Good Fridays is probably one of our more cherished shared experiences, like growing, not growing up, but being in New York City and and the Z share days of those those singles getting released on MT3 blogs and downloading them immediately and like just going running them back over and over again that entire weekend. We really were with him through Yeezus, through a lot. And then the last four years have been real tough. Uh, uh-huh. And I I wouldn't say ever was like, I swear off Kanye as much as I'm like, I tap out. You know, I'm out, uh, I'm out of the discourse. I don't know, like, I don't really care if he's making gospel music in Montana. Like, it's, it's not really clicking for me anymore. And then I did feel, I felt the old pangs. Yes. I felt like the thaw coming when I was reading about this. I have not heard a note of this record that does not exist. But I was curious where you were at with uh, Kanye Incorporated. Well, I'll just second everything you said. He is our, for better or worse, our contemporary. We're all born the same year. Uh, His emergence onto the scene. I mean, just recently when I was going through my storage boxes, I found like some of those first... Uh, mix CDs that yeah. you probably copped for me at Kim's. Get and well soon and stuff, yeah. We loved him as an artist. And I I would say if there's, I don't know how much residual music critic is still in us in terms of just that mindset and what we used to do for a living. I think that music critics don't like being wrong. Critics of any kind or cultural observers don't like being wrong. But the worst thing is other people being right. That's worse than being wrong. And I think that... Um, even when he was at his most profane or misogynistic or out there, I went on Front Street being like defending this guy and his muse because the music was just simply more exciting than anyone else's. And it was an entire experience. And then the last four years happened. And I was like, this sucks because he's doing terrible things. And he seems like a deeply unwell person. And it's affecting my appreciation or ability to engage with this music that meant yeah. so much to me. Yeah. And that was one level of like dilettante wrestling that I just couldn't do during the last four years. You know, so I just, like you said, I just tapped out. I just tapped out. And I had the same experience you did this week um, where you just suddenly the, the tweets start coming and there's like a $75 t-shirt that looks kind of cool. <laughs> And then it's like, then you actually enhance on your phone and it's $175. <laughs> and you're like, and how much were the buffalo wings? And the spectacle. Yeah. So and he, he, the where did sense he hold of this excitement. He, this was at the stadium in Atlanta. Okay. So he theoretically was in Wyoming recording again and people were making their their pilgrimages and, and was interesting to note that the current creme de la creme of mm-hmm. culture were still going to see him. Like little baby is like, sure, here I come. I, I am inarguably exponentially more famous than you at this moment. And I will come to Wyoming to do this for you, which I thought was interesting. And then he held this, he he did what he always does, which is I'm going to, and, and by the way, speaking of rock critics, the freelance writer in me that will never die deeply relates to, I'm not finished this article, but I'm going to throw a listening party for it. Right. And announce the date so that this article will be sent to you at this time, and by this time, I mean four hours after you've gone into the stadium. Sure. There is something inarguably thrilling about a shared cultural spectacle like this. It makes it more fun, and you and I miss that, for sure. Um, but then there was the come down. I mean, again, I wasn't even engaged with it, really. 
But then you find out that the Jay-Z verse was recorded at 4 p.m. Right, that, that day. day. Yeah. And that, of course, the album is not on streaming because, of course, it's not done. Right. And who knows when it will come. And this may be, you know, th- th- this may ultimately be as satisfying as the $55 snack plate at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And you kind of, I, I don't know how you where you are with it. I'm still going to listen to it. I want to hear a push a verse again over a Kanye. I mean, I can't help it. I want to hear it, but I do have a little bit of this feeling of like, I, I don't know if I can, I, I think we've all changed a lot in the last four years and I don't know if I can do this again. And by this, I mean, waves vaguely to living in a stadium like the fucking <laughs> Phantom of the Opera with, with spanks over his face. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, during an Atlanta United game. I, 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 I just, <laughs> I, I struggle with it. Kanye, with Kanye it. getting into soccer management would be the best I think for all parties involved, for soccer and for Kanye. This is an idea I can get behind. But this would also, Chris, you're, you've been on vacation too long. Do you realize the level of work you're assigning yourself if Kanye West got into <laughs> soccer management? Oh my God, like, I, I would follow him like the dead. You are the king's man. I've never yeah. even seen those movies, but I assume it's about the king as one man who can do this job. That's you. <laughs> Um, before we get into White Lotus and Ted Lasso, did you have any other uh, stuff that you had been enjoying or noticing or, or thrive? I, you, you sent out like an incredibly passionate tweet very late last night about TV. If, uh, yes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I did have two things. One, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but there is a show that I think is maybe the funniest thing ever made. And, and I say that heavily. I intentionally do not say that lightly. Uh, it is a British comedy called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. <laughs> I, and it's from yeah. 2004. Only six episodes created by Richard Ayoade and Matthew Holness, who, if you like British comedy, you definitely know who they are. They're big. They're very big deals. Matt Berry from What We Do in the Shadows is one of the stars, co-stars of the show. I One of the reasons, inarguably, why I love this show so much is because it was such a secret. I, it was passed on to me. I mean, you were mentioning Z-Share and MP3 blogs. Like this show is for an American audience is only as far as I know, only ever existed on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And so when someone showed it to me, it felt like a fever dream and then one that you could pass on to other people. And the conceit of this, and now it's on Amazon Prime. And the conceit of the show, I mean, can you imagine just getting this greenlit? The conceit of the show is that there is a famous British horror writer named Garth Marenghi, who's like kind of Stephen King mixed with the old uh, TV producer in America, Stephen Cannell. Mm-hmm. And at some point in the late 70s, early, in some point in the 80s, Garth Marenghi was given the opportunity to make a television show that he would write, direct, and star in, even though he was not an actor. And the show was called <laughs> Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. And Garth Marenghi, present day, introduces his show saying, this show is just too damn dangerous to be seen. Right. And then he unspools an episode that is also interspersed with him and his collaborators reflecting on it. So it is meta on top of meta on top of meta. And the show within the show, he is a doctor at a haunted hospital. (laughs) And, I mean, you know that thing where there's a joke and then the joke keeps going? Yeah. And then you laugh more and then it keeps going and you laugh more and then it keeps going and you start to laugh a little bit less and you start to look around and then it keeps the, the going. And it the classic you feel version of this is Will Ferrell falling through the yes. floor and Austin Powers and just being right. like, I'm, I'm trapped down here. Imagine <laughs> oh, just no. that as a series. Yeah. But one that also has the greatest intentionally bad edits and acting. And direct- I mean, they're all pretending to be bad actors on top of it. 
Right. I love it so much, and I'm so happy it's finally streaming. It felt like an impossibility. I tried watching a little bit of it last night. I think I had watched too much television up until that point because I had watched like a couple hours of TV, and then I turned that on after my wife had fallen asleep, and I was just like, "Am I? Am I dreaming?" Like I was like, yeah. "This? Did I dream that even Andy even tweeted about this?" It's so good. the 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 other thing. Since I know you're t- speaking about earnest tweets. And by the way, speaking of earnest tweets, who I think is a gentleman I met here on Sansom Street the other <laughs> night, who said he was a big fan of the podcast, but then said, which is very nice, and, uh, and then said, I'm just a local guy. If you're listening, local guy, that's the best. Don't don't apologize. You, you're our audience. We want to speak to the local guy. Yeah, Man on street. I've had like a couple of, of folks come up to me in Maine and it's been awesome to meet people. And like one dude came up to me in a in an oyster bar in, in outside of Camden, Maine and was just like, we're you know, really digging the bureau. So I was just like, this is, the brand yes. is strong. I'm really into it. Um, it was really kind. But I, I did want to say one last thing um, because there's a little bit of a TV. I, I, I've been doing some food, sending some food tweets. I mean, or Instagram or whatever. If you are anywhere near Philadelphia or you can travel to Philadelphia, you do need to come eat here. It's really, things have been, it's an incredible food city now, which is so awesome. But For like a split second, I was like, ooh, are we going to do the ethics of the Bourdain documentary? Nope. Pivot. <laughs> We're not doing that. Um, I just wanted to shout out, uh, there's a TV element to it as well. Like One of the greatest eating experiences I've had in my adult life is at South Philly Barbacoa, which is a restaurant here by the Italian market. Um, Chef Christina Martinez is making my favorite kind of taco, the best I've ever had in America barbacoa tacos with consomme on the side. This place is only open on the mornings, on the weekends, and it is a absolute ecstatic celebration of both food and also just community and the diversity of the city and truly of America. And she's, as an undocumented woman in America, she's an incredible trailblazer. Not everyone listening can travel right now. Not everyone listening can eat barbacoa tacos in Philadelphia, but you can watch her episode of Chef's Table on Netflix, which hmm. is a beautiful hour of television. And I, I don't know if we've mentioned that episode before, but I was just reminded of how wonderful it is when I finally got to eat her food. And I mean, you mentioned Bourdain. If you are looking to scratch that itch a little bit, um, I have issues, a li- I, I honestly, with Chef's Table in general, just because it's a little bit food porny for my taste generally. But this episode really hit the sweet spot of like just cultural representation. Is food and porn for you just like if they do like overly romanticized it, plate shots yeah like like food yeah. being tweezed by a brilliant frenchman with a furrowed brow and him talking about like how he gets inspiration from art and color and his 17 wives like I, okay <laughs> i mean that does sound inspiring but i i'm i'm less interested in that than in the people who are actually you know washing your dishes and buying your tweezers okay um let's take a quick break we'll come back and we'll talk ted lasso and white lotus This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Okay. uh, Let's do Lasso first, Andy, because I know that this is going to be a one-way street. 
Yeah, I did want to talk to you. How are we going to do this? Well, so first two episodes went up on Friday, I believe, on Apple. uh, And you would have to be living under a rock not to know that because Sudeikis has been on the cover of GQ. Our buddy Zach Barron wrote an amazing profile of him that has been... Uh, rightfully, like shared very widely, at least great, I, I've seen a lot of like piece. of of pull quotes taken from that, and now everybody being like, "This is this is my guy." A bunch of other like kind of like I just feel like there's been a huge surge of of Ted Lasso stuff. I would say that it almost r- reminds me of a pre-pandemic way that TV sometimes works out, where a season comes out, people kind of fall in love with it, catch up with it, get into it, and then as that kind of crests. Mm-hmm. And the maximum amount of people possible who've seen first season Ted Lasso or a first season of a show, all of a sudden, six weeks later, there's a press run and then there's another season. And that is actually the sweet spot that you want to be in probably since post-Netflix is the ability to have your cake and eat it too. To have like a long shelf life for your season that almost sets up the next season's kind of anticipation. I think they did that with Ted Lasso. So obviously, I enjoyed the first season quite a bit. I, there's no real reason for me to like kind of get the plot as the plot of Ted Lasso. I think they're obviously really, really sharp uh, in the second season. So the, spoilers for anybody who hasn't finished the first season uh, alert. But in the second season, the the R- Richmond, the club that he works at, has been relegated to the championship, the second division of, of English football. Which is smaller stadiums, less TV coverage, kind of a little bit more funky. Kind of probably suits the the vibe of the coach a little bit more. And uh, I just wanted to shout out a lot of people talk about like the sort of the kindness. There's the 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 sort of viral clip of the dart scene. I'm sure you've seen that where he's like, you know, barbecue sauce and throws the dart and that being kind of like this emblem of what makes the show special, which is that this guy has like a heart, a huge heart and that the show has huge heart and that it's about kindness and it's about curiosity. And I agree with all that. What I want to just shout out in watching this second season get up and running. Because I had like, I was kind of like, I wonder whether they can catch capture lightning in a bottle twice. Because what that show did the first season was such a, a special collision of context and content. Like, the fact is that I think a lot of people were trapped at home and did need something like that to make them feel better. That doesn't mean that it's not as good as everybody says it is, but I do think it was helped. The thing about situational comedies, which it ultimately is, is I think we often like really focus on whether or not the comedy hits and we don't ever talk about the situation. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to mention how fucking smart they are about the way that they set everything up here and just how effective the workplace of the workplace comedy that they've got going is. Like, there's real whether it's Bill Lawrence or whatever, the bones of the show and like the old school mechanics of them being like, let's have Ted bring his boss uh, basically like a biscuit or a cookie every day. I can't remember. He brings her a dessert every day. It's like a bit from the first season. And it's a character building thing because it shows that he's like a very considerate person. But it's also just really smart because it means he has to go into her office every episode. Yep. And that means that they have to have a conversation and that they always know what's going on in each other's lives. And that's shit that like, I think sometimes you watch, you watch sitcoms and if, unless they're really good or really made by really pro people, like that doesn't happen. And then you're like, why does this show feel like slightly off or underbaked? And it's because like shows aren't just three jokes per page. Like you have to have the mechanics of why is this happening 
why does this person go into this room every day? And you can just tell that that works. I'll finish my soliloquy by just saying that they have also figured out how to deliver the syringe hit into the jugular of emotion now. Like in the first episode, there is a, a very sort of comic, but I guess sad moment where the mascot of the team dies, the dog, the greyhound dog. And and it, it gets killed by a guy kicking a soccer ball at it, which is stupid and, and, and funny, but also like, what? And then they'd use that to have Ted Lasso give this statement at a press conference about his childhood dog and like what pets mean to us at various points in our life. And you're like, you fucking guys realize, like now you know what you're cooking with. Because even though it's like kind of a silly moment or it's it's sort of like Ted Lasso TM or Ted Lasso copyright now, it is still very, very effective. So, so far two episodes are up. I'm sure our listeners are listening. I don't mean a bore because Andy doesn't watch, but I just wanted to shout out like some of the mechanics of the show that I thought are really good. I think, first of all, you're crying. I love you're, your soliloquy. You're, you're, you're weeping at my... Ability. I am curious what pets mean to us, but I'll <laughs> circle back to that. Look, you know me. I, I, I think that your, your, your observations about the secret sauce that makes comedy work is incredibly well observed. I think you're exactly right. And I think it's often overlooked. Uh, I also think it's very sweet that after doing this podcast for nine years, you think me not watching something is going to stop me from talking about it. Oh no, I want you to. Uh, I I wanted to clarify a couple things. One is I am not anti this show. A moment ago I said, you know, whatever critical DNA is left within me or within us, like we don't like being wrong. We don't like other people being right. I fully believe that I that other people are right and I'm okay with it about this show. My my decision not to watch the first season purely was a quirk of chemicals in the moment where I was like, I can't do this right now. I see the sweetness and I am in a darker place uh, or the country feels in a darker place or my interests or where I, what I need when I'm on the couch right now are running counter to what the show is offering. It's nice to know it's there. Sudeikis seems like the best guy and I'm thrilled for the show's success. And I may uh, check it out at some point. Again, it's nice to know that it's out there. Comedies are good like that. I I think the other thing is not to be New York Times columnist Thomas Friedman in the back of a cab being like, here's how the working class in India really think. (laughs) But we, you know, Chris and I are traveling a little bit outside of our Hollywood bubbles. Uh And um, occasionally one gets a reminder of how TV actually works in America, which is not obsessing over the aborted Game of Thrones spinoff set in Flea Bottom, by the way, Casey, call us. It is what I heard a lovely family talking about when I was at the neighborhood pool <laughs> visiting my in-laws. And they were talking, they were talking TV. Yeah. And they weren't talking the watch. No offense to us. I mean, I, 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 I hope they'd find something in our emotional gymnastics routine, Simone Biles-esque about whether we'll listen to the new Kanye album or not. But they basically, the conversation was, was this was this, this was the gist of it. One was, Black Widow is out. And did you hear that they also gave Wanda, Wanda has her own movie and it's called WandaVision. Uh-huh. And what was Wanda's brother's name? And then they talked about that for a while, but he died. And then they were like, have you watched any of the shows? And they were like, I haven't watched Winter Soldier. And I was like, this Falcon Erasure will not stand. <laughs> um, but they were aware of all the Marvel shows. Very unclear whether they were movies or TV shows, but knew they were available to them. So you didn't Kool-Aid man over into their conversation and say, let me tell you about Pietro. <laughs> I did not 
reenact the Marshall McLuhan scene from Annie Hall, which is, I know what you're asking. I did not do that. The next thing they said, after they all kind of nodded about Pietro, they did figure it out, by the way. So clear this, the fact that this rando family in Delaware was like Wanda Maximoff's dead twin brother's name is Pietro. Like, good job, Kevin Feige. You did it. Let's put you in charge of vaccine distribution because you can get it into resistant households. The next thing they said was, oh, Ted Lasso's back. And they were happy. And I just think sometimes it's not that complicated. You know, I, I, to your point, Chris, like even if I do catch up on the show and watch it and we talk about it, I don't think it will, it, maybe I'm misreading the show. It probably would not be a week to week show for us, even though they're releasing it week to week because it is a feel good comedy that people like and enjoy. And those yeah. are the hardest he's things not, for us to talk about. He's not about. looking for Carcosa. It's, it's not that. Right. Yeah. But it is not, again, it, it, it's hard to do, but it's not complicated why this show is a success. People are excited to have it back because it makes them happy. Yeah, and right. That's great. I, I mean, there are many ways to get people hooked on in entertainment in 2021, and none of them are easy. But making something that makes people feel good that they like and they're excited about, I mean, that's any network or streamer, that's the one they want. Does White Lotus make you feel good? No. That's <laughs> <laughs> a great segue. Um, I, w- I do not regret taking a week off last week. But the only thing that gave me a little pang was I really loved White Lotus episode two. Mm-hmm. I liked it more than episode one. And I was ready to, maybe not Kool-Aid man, but maybe Crystal Light Ice Tea guy come on the show today and be like all in on the show. I know we talked a lot about the first episode. And then the third episode kind of put me back on my heels. Still like it. Mm-hmm. Still impressed by it. Still intrigued by it. And still planning on going to Hawaii every week for the next three weeks. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant like... With the show. Oh, yeah, some news. This is my last <laughs> podcast. I'm done. Um, I think that but, if you were if you were in Hawaii and I was on the East Coast, that might be a time zone too far. I don't know if we could have made that work. I would I would be like Quinn on a chair at dawn <laughs> while, while my Tascam washes out to sea um, just to make it work. But I, I think that... I think that if anyone's st- anyone's still listening to our show and watching White Lotus, maybe if, if anyone is jumping off of the fence of that show or, or, or jumping off of the I get the impression uh, like it, it was it was very well received by I mean I, I know by the, Twitter, not well, by the people in the pool. I'll I know tell you that. I know Bill Simmons loved it, so I was like, really, this is Bill. Bill liking a show is always like a sign that it's like that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so maybe I'm wrong. I, I guess that the, the the my my takeaway from episode three was everything that's good about the show is still here, but not quite as much of it because it wasn't as funny. I mean, episode two was surprisingly funny in a lot of ways from like that, especially that drug scene Mm -hmm. where they just kept pulling up more different kinds of drugs they accidentally brought with them. It was also a lot of just talking about sex and Mm -hmm. not having a ton of it or showing it or, or other things happening. You know, it was a setup episode and it felt like part of the larger story, but it was one of those episodes that I think would probably hit better if you were binging it Mm -hmm. as opposed to week to weeking it. And I still really like and admire the show, but my enthusiasm did dip a bit just because, you know, the, the direction of the show, and this is not a Breaking Bad situation, but it really is a, here are a bunch of marbles and 
we're going to put them in, in there. We're going to put them in, and they're just going to spin and go down and down and down. And they're going to keep bumping right. up against each other in ways that are going to be extremely cringy at times and uncomfortable and go to some interesting storytelling and emotional places. But so far, I'm not, this isn't, you tell me, I, I realize now I'm soliloquizing, but I don't feel like the show is going to surprise me. It's going to impress me. And is that a distinction worth making? Yeah, I think maybe surprise has become an over, uh, mm-hmm. over sort of tapped mechanism in in a lot of TV and a lot mm-hmm. of film, and then and that I, th- I think that we've had this conversation in a circular fashion about a lot of the Marvel shows and the yes. sort of the need to for there to be something else. And one of the reasons why I've been enjoying a bunch of the shows that I've been watching both that are on now and that are coming in August. So something like the chair or whatever, like is because while there are elements of like twists or there's like plot twist, you know, there's like there's plot. So there, there's, there's stuff that you didn't expect to happen. The shows themselves don't rely entirely on surprise or shock or untangling a mystery at the heart of it. Now, even with white Lotus, I think by episode three, most viewers are probably like, whatever that first scene in the airport is in the first episode is not like, it doesn't feel like it is the most important thing yet. You know what I mean? It's like, it is something that is like almost a capstone in the beginning of the show, you know, and that the more important stuff is whatever emotional journey, all these characters going on. I think the reason why you're having uh, among other reasons, but I think the reason why there might be some week to week variance with people is there's there were a bunch of difficult people who are not doing anything illicit like making meth or cool like coming up with dope advertisements or running the mafia. They're just being <laughs> their shitty selves in Hawaii, right? Like I think that's part of the problem. By the way, shouts to Mad Men for being the best <laughs> show because making cool advertisements <laughs> is not necessarily as eye-catching as cooking methamphetamine. Yeah, but, please go on. but equally dangerous. <laughs> you know, like Apparently. when you think about like the Marlboro Man, mm-hmm. um, not equally dangerous, but you know what I mean? Uh, I, I do think that I just wanted to mention just because we talked about the mechanics of the comedy of Ted Lasso, just how savvy Mike White is at, first of all, squeezing a fucking couple months in, in Hawaii out of HBO. So shout out to Legend. him. But recognizing the resort as like a perfect laboratory to do human experiments in because you do get people at this sort of most raw and most kind of dependent on this invisible illusion of like Santa Claus like service at these at these resorts right where even Murray Bartlett's character talks about this in the first episode where it's like they're coming and you know, we're their mommies, we're their friends, we're there, we're, we're there to like do all these things, but we're also there to be kind of weirdly invisible and, and replaceable because we don't want to develop too much of a relationship with them. And that is obviously like the Natasha Rothwell character is kind of developing a relationship with the Jennifer Coolidge character and kind of breaking the sort of cardinal rule of it is that like, you, they're not really your, your friends or your family members. They're there to be kind of like coddled and then cycled out. I have uh, one small criticism and then something I just want to celebrate on the show instead. Okay. Um, because we're on board, we're enjoying it. It's 
as usual, HBO. Classic not- uh, Barnes and Noble book reading action from you right there is like, I have a question. And then no, I also it's, just it's, have a, a comment on Bill Clinton's foreign policy that I'd it's, like to. It's, it's classic comment at a screening, at a film screening at like the Ritz at the Bourse in 1996. Yeah. I have a comment, but it's really more of a question. Yeah. So uh, one thing that I struggle with with the show and I again, let me just caveat it. Like, I'm in. I'm really interested. I'm enjoying having the show in my life. Shouts HBO because even when they have something that isn't necessarily for everyone, like a Mike White show, their timing to put this on in the summer just feels smart and right. Like, this this is working for me right now when in a more competitive, focused, we're not on vacation or traveling as we've been, it might not shine as brightly um, or take up as much oxygen even on our podcast. One ding that I'm struggling with is, I have a hard time understanding how big this resort is. I was just talking about this. It's a strange comment to make, but like when I was making Prior Patch, there was the thing that this is a writer's room thing that the writers would constantly ding me with. And I don't even know if we got it right. So I'm putting myself out there for criticism, but it was tiny town, right? Like how big is this town where all these things are happening? But this town also has a newspaper and a TV station and whatever. And and I came up with an answer that I guess the network accepted. And I don't know if viewers did. But the thing about White Lotus is when we meet the characters, these characters on a boat to get there, the impression is this is an extremely exclusive, expensive resort where you are personally coddled and welcomed by the hotel management. And Armand Murray Bartlett's character is ever present and everyone knows him because he runs this place. They shot the show at um, pretty fancy established resorts in Maui that are big. Mm Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I dip in and out of the narrative because I'm like, if there are this many people at one of the many poolside bars slash restaurants, there's six Armands at this hotel. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or there need to be. So like, I think that there's a couple of things going on. One, and I can't remember, I feel bad because I this is, I'm definitely jacking this like observation, although I think it is one that others have made and you and I have talked about, is that there is an element of, I think there's TV is going to be a little disorienting for the rest of this year and further yeah. because I don't think that they can really shoot scenes with like five people in them. You, I mean, yeah. In the, the same, the, so they're the like the fact that the show is a COVID show in every sense yeah. is definitely so that's coloring why, this take. Like, I think that's why. Like at the pool, there's only three people at the pool, but like it also doesn't seem like they're being doted upon sometimes or that there are also doesn't seem like a small pool it seems big enough for many like a big pool and this is like we're getting into the weeds here but like the restaurant when they go to dinner in this show the restaurant's full right like the restaurant has like other people in it it's just that i think because of the way they have to shoot this thing they kind of like emphasize the exclusivity of it but it does make the way armand is torturing jake lacy's character over this room a little bit like, so how could that even have happened if you guys are such an exclusive group of people? I agree with this. I think the other thing I want to say that is great about the show and why I hope that HBO and is always in this business and I hope that other networks and streamers get into this business, which is the thing that can happen when you support an auteur. Like the hotel like, business? Like a Mike White. I want to get into that <laughs> business. Seems like a great time. Um, but with someone like a Mike White, 
he doesn't make shows for everybody. He makes the shows he wants to make mm-hmm. and he follows his muse. And part of following his muse and having his own point of view and sensibilities and taste is that he falls in love with certain performers like and he Jared fights Coolidge. for them yeah. and puts them in the positions that he wants them in to succeed in the way he sees them. And with someone like Jennifer Coolidge, and if you read the profile of her in Vulture, you know that he that they have a very close relationship. He clearly adores her. The camera of the show adores her and puts her in all these, you know, showcase scenes. I still don't have the the biggest appetite for her always, but I respect it and I appreciate it. And it's a different speed of a pitch, right, coming at us. Mm-hmm. The flip side of it, I think you can't just single out that performance without also saying Murray Bartlett, an actor whom I loved on Looking, where he played a very different character and an American character, is so great on this show. He's top billed alphabetically, which is great for him, but he is in many ways the star of the show. And he's just crushing it. And I love it. I love seeing him have this opportunity. I love watching him. I'm thrilled to see where he's going. Doesn't seem like any place good. <laughs> and then the the third piece of that is Alexander Daddario, who, like any young actor, let me let me actually be more specific, a lot of young actresses has had a bumpy, bumpier career road. Mm-hmm. Because she is, I mean, often objectified for how she looks in roles. And and those are the roles she's offered. And I had skepticism about her in this show because of that, which is not fair. And I kind of love her performance. She's good. Yeah, she's really good. And I kind of love the character. And the work that she's doing, investing this person with the right mix of, you know, principle and morals and soul that she needs to have, but also the kind of Twitter era... Uh, attention span and ambition that anyone working in that field and doing, you know, clickbait 10 best things I like about girl bosses pieces would have to have to survive. I think it's kind of awesome. And I don't know who else is giving her this opportunity. And I love it when you see actors get the thing that they have been telling their agents that they want, and then they make the most of it. And that's, that's the vibe I get from this. I mean, again, I don't know her. I don't know anything about it, but I just, I really like Yeah, I mean, there's a Jake Lacey interview in Vulture today, and it's obvious to me at least, that like this was a really seductive part for him to take because he gets to play a dick and he hasn't. He yet. sure like, does. He's always the nice guy in high fidelity. Like he's always just like this Obvious sort of child. Yeah. safe, safe choice. So yeah. All right. Well, we can wrap it up there. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. I think, uh, I'm trying to think of like what shows we need to talk about on Thursday, but we'll, we'll find some. We'll find maybe maybe I think we should just like just check in with each other about Donda. Yeah, Donda know? might be out by Thursday. So you Oh, I don't know. think so, but I can't <laughs> wait to just <laughs> let's just uh let's just keep chattering about the anticipation. Uh enjoy Philly. Say hi to it for me. I'll bring you back a lobster. I'll grab you a cheesesteak on the way out. Later, man. <laughs>